1: Of all the writings in the New Testament, perhaps the deepest and most profound are those of the Apostle Paul. To Paul it was given to unfold many of the great truths of the Christian faith and to make known the eternal purpose of God. But his letters to the church in Thessalonica are striking in their simplicity, because to the new believers in this city, Paul became a nurturing, cherishing parent fostering the growth of his spiritual children. Bob Danker has joined us again as we explore more of this uh, very intimate, tender, loving book. It's also got some strong warnings on some points, Bob, but it is, compared to many of Paul's writings, the book of Romans, Ephesians, some of these great uh, epistles, it's almost striking in how sort of void it is of teaching, isn't it? That's right, Chris. These epistles to the Thessalonians are quite particular
2: because here Paul is writing to a group of new Christians, and the way he communicates with them, expresses his love for them, and also unveils to us the way in which he worked. And we'll see more of that as we go on here. But uh, this is a tremendous pattern for all who would serve the Lord uh, in this kind of way.
1: Yeah, I think good point that you brought up here. In chapter one, we saw earlier in this live study, Paul uses this word, how our entrance to you, talking about, again, himself and the other uh, apostles or coworkers that were there that really came and established things in this city. And their manner, their way of life became an important part of their gospel preaching, didn't it? That's right. It was
2: absolutely integral with their gospel preaching. They lived what they preached, And that made it possible for these heathen people to not only hear with their ears the marvelous things in the New Testament gospel, but to actually see a living reality in the life of Paul and his co-workers. This gospel was being lived out in front of them.
1: Uh, He comes back now to this theme uh, somewhat in chapter 2. Let me read a a couple of verses here in uh, chapter 2, verse 7 through 11. We were gentle, he says, in your midst, as a nursing mother would cherish her own children. Yearning in this way over you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own souls, because you became beloved to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and travail while working night and day, so as not to be burdensome to any of you. We proclaim to you the gospel of God, You are witnesses as well as God, how in a holy and righteous and blameless manner we conducted ourselves toward you who believe, just as you know how we were to each one of you as a father to his own children, exhorting you and consoling you and testifying. So this is quite a passage, Bob. In this passage, he is both a nursing mother and a father exhorting, consoling, and testifying. Marvelous, (laughs) really so. All right, let's join Witness Lee with our first portion today.
3: Reading chapter 2, you just have the feeling that Paul is here fostering the young Christian life. He is here doing a cherishing work. He, according to his writing, is absolutely behaving, acting as a mother and as a father. The mother for cherishing and the father for exhorting. He is here not teaching. He is here doing the fasting work to uh, help these young saints to grow. I like to uh, stress this thing Very, very much. The Christian work is not a teaching work. Paul, in First Corinthians 3, says he planted and Apollos watered. And then God gave the growth, you see? This is Paul's concept with the uh, Christian work. The Christian work is a work of life. The Christian work is not a work of the school. The Christian work is work in the garden to uh, grow something, not to educate people. But today, Christian workers consider Christian work at least 70% for education, and 30% maybe for edification. Still, it's not a work directly related to life. But a kind of ethics, morality, improving of character. But with Paul, the concept is absolutely different. He considers all the believers with him a big family. In a family, the focus is not to teach the children, it is to raise up the children, is to cherish them, nurse them. To foster them that they may grow. As they are growing in life, spontaneously they got educated. Uh, they pick up a certain knowledge and their knowledge always goes along with their life. This is the reason that Paul wrote chapter 2 in this way in a way to raise up the children in life. So Paul didn't give much teaching, but rather he gave a pattern of life. And this pattern of life is just he himself.
1: Bob, before we joined Witness Lee, we were able to talk a little bit about the pattern. How about the characteristic or the nature of real Christian work as it's presented in this book?
2: Well, as shown in this book, Chris, the Christian work, and Witness Lee said it so well, is a work of life, not primarily a work of education, Uh but a work of life. For instance, in the preaching of the gospel, when we are announcing the gospel to some one who is an unbeliever, he is a person without life. He doesn't have the divine life, the eternal life. So our goal in preaching the gospel is to impart this life into him so that he will have a new birth and become a child of God. He will become a genuine, born-again person with a new life, the divine, eternal life, in addition to the human life that he acquired from his parents This is a work of life in gospel preaching. Right. Then what should we do after we preach the gospel? Well, we should continue to do the work of life because what we have produced by our gospel preaching is a newborn child. (laughs) Surely that child, uh, his greatest need is to be nourished, to be loved, to be nurtured, to be cherished. Right. And you can see this so well in Paul's writing here of how he carried out the work among the Thessalonians. He was like a nursing mother feeding them with spiritual milk, and he was like a father, exhorting them, setting up a pattern for them. You know, uh, before a child can learn in a way of education, he learns by yeah, observing that's right. his parents, how they behave themselves, and he learns so much by this way, and so Paul was very, very careful to set up a proper
1: pattern and example for the Thessalonian believers. And just as in a family, Bob, you wouldn't begin your work of raising your children with a textbook, a chalkboard, a set of instructions. You have got to first nurture this life that is in the child. And as it grows, education is certainly an important component, but it cannot replace the nurturing, the nourishing, the feeding, all of the things, the aspects of life. And I think that is the point here that we see uh, so clear in Thessalonians, isn't it? That's
2: right. In fact, education goes along with the growing in life. If the child does not grow and develop in his human life, it's impossible to educate him or to go further in our education. So life is primary.
1: Teaching or education is certainly important, but it's not primary. Let's come back now to um, Paul's You know, he's careful in a way not to elevate himself in how he presents himself to the believers there. But he is also not afraid to point out that they, meaning he and the other co-workers, had really been a pattern in this life to them to follow. Uh, I read it a moment ago. I'd like to read these two verses again in 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11 in chapter 2. You are witnesses, he says, as well as God, how in a holy and righteous and blameless manner we conducted ourselves toward you who believe, just as you know how we were to each one of you as a father to his own children. Let's go back to Witness Lee as he considers more carefully this matter of the pattern that Paul had become to the believers.
3: In chapter 2 of this book, Paul is absolutely speaking about himself. Right? He gives a strong testimony of himself and his chest. This one thing, again and again, our entrance into you. You know our coming. You know our, the manner we live. Right? Why? He is now presenting a pattern to the young saints. Actually, Paul uses the word imitate. To imitate is to grow. If you look at a family, the little ones, they always imitate. The children don't know how to invent. They just imitate how your children will grow up. How? By imitating you. So imitating in a family actually means to grow. So, To take care of the young believers is not to put out that much teaching. Show them a pattern. Uh, All the mothers know to raise up the children, the main thing is to feed them. Feeding is always to take patterns from the Old Testament, New Testament, then from church history. In church history, uh, you have a lot of characters. I must tell you this, to read the biographies, the stories of the uh, big saints, it's really a kind of fostering. But the best way, you must be a present pattern. You just refer people to Noah. You just refer people to uh, Elijah. Now, how about yourself? Only pattern fits people. Now you can understand Paul was not preaching himself. Paul was feeding his spiritual children with what he lives. He lives Christ and he just feeds his children with his life, with what he lives. This is why he stresses so much His entrance, his coming, his way of preaching, his way of handling the word of God. You must be a present parent.
1: You know, Bob, as we were listening there, I was thinking, there's a lot of talk these days, I hear more and more. In secular education, there has been a kind of an abandonment of the formal teaching of history, and uh, we're seeing a generation come to adulthood that has, for all intents and purposes, a complete disconnect from the history and the rich heritage in our country, our society. I don't want to make that our point today, obviously, we're on something uh, spiritual, but I would say... In the church, we're almost in danger of the same thing, aren't we? I remember when I first uh, became a believer, young man, very, very early 20s, and it was pointed out to me, some of these great biographies and stories of real men of faith that had gone before and how that was a strengthening to me as a young person. Do we have such an emphasis today, I wonder, in the church?
2: Yes. um, You know, this was an extremely enlightening portion uh, in Brother Lee's speaking. What was Paul doing here? by reminding the Thessalonians about how he conducted himself when he was with them. He wasn't boasting about himself. He wasn't trying to exalt himself in their eyes. What was he doing? He was feeding them with his own manner of life, which was just the living out of Christ. If our manner of living is that we live Christ and Christ lives in us and lives out of us, then what does this uh, indicate? It indicates that this kind of living can actually feed people. Yeah. More than teaching with words. And as you said, Chris, to remind them of those who went before who were patterns. Uh, Even those in the scriptures, like in the Old Testament we have Moses and David in his early history was a tremendous pattern as a youth. Joseph, what about Joseph in Genesis? Marvelous pattern. And then you have others later in, in the New Testament who were patterns, and then after that in church history there were patterns. Yes. And then we ourselves should be a present pattern. All of this is for feeding. And by this, the new believers grow. To me, this is uh, phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, we always think that we have to teach, 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 teach. People have to learn, learn. The more they learn, the happier we are. or The more we think we are. they are progressing, but maybe not so. We should feed them with these patterns and with ourselves as a present pattern
1: to the new ones. It is a striking thought that our very living can be the source of nourishment to a new one that is in our midst. That's beyond profound, isn't it? I hear we open the program by saying how Thessalonians is somewhat void of the deep, profound teachings, but uh, this is exceedingly profound.
2: Exceedingly profound, especially when we realize that the real spiritual nourishment in the whole Bible is just Christ himself. So that means our living must be Christ, Christ living in us and living out of us. It's this kind of living that could nourish others.
1: If it's just our uh, own natural goodness born of self-effort and self-control, that is not going to nourish anyone but maybe our, our old man. <laughs> That's right, and their old man.
2: <laughs> they may imitate us and they may, they may try to, to follow us as a pattern, but what they really need to see is the way in which we conduct ourselves in Christ. We conduct ourselves with Christ and with Christ living in us and living out of us. This feeds them, and it also becomes something that they can imitate. They begin to practice living the way we live. In that living, they experience Christ in the way that we experience Christ, and they spontaneously grow.
1: Mm. Tremendous. Bob, the chapter goes on and, in fact, concludes in a very tender intimate way because Paul somewhat opens up his heart here for us to see how he viewed them. Here, this church of young believers in the Lord, perhaps only one year, the oldest among them, the most experienced among them. And yet Paul has this kind of heart toward them. Listen, but we brothers, having been bereaved of you for a little while in presence, not in heart, were more abundantly eager with great desire to see your face. Therefore, we wanted to come to you. Indeed, I, Paul, both once and again, yet Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming are not even you, for you are our glory and joy. <laughs> so much Paul boasted, could have boasted of, but his real boast was uh, right here. These young Believers. Tremendous. Yeah. All right, here's Witness Lee.
3: Verse 18 says, Wherefore we wanted to come to you? Indeed, I, Paul, I wanted to come to you both once and again. And Satan hindered us. We have been eager with much there to see you. But we got hindered. He says, For what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of boasting? Are not you? We're here for you. If we miss you, we miss everything. Your hope is the Lord's coming back. And our hope is you. Even without you, just the Lord's coming back, that doesn't mean much to us. See, the Lord's coming back without you there will not mean much to us. We need you. You are our hope. You are joy. You are our crown. That means our glory. And in the next verse, you have the glory. For you are our glory and joy. Are not even you before Lord Jesus at his coming? Without you, to us, the Lord's coming doesn't mean much. Paul was too emotional. He was too much for his children. This is just like a good father. Exhorting children. Children, you know, we are here just for you. Without your children, we live just meaningless. Without your children, we don't like to live. Even for us, to live, it means nothing. This is touching. It touches the heart of the children. Suppose your parents would say such a word to you. Children, without you, my life... It's meaningless when you hear this word, you surely will share your tears. This is kind touching. What it is? This is fostering. this is to foster the children, to make them to grow. Paul, he is the best father. He knows how to touch his children's heart. The best way to foster. Your children, to touch their heart, get their heart. If you could uh, get their heart with tears, you are successful.
1: Well, Bob, you wonder how much stress is put on this kind of thought, even in seminaries and things, preparing people for the ministry. What a pattern. This is shattering all of our concepts, isn't it, about what it really is to bring someone into growth in life? It really does, Chris. You
2: know, you would think, well, you try to be an overcomer. You would be happy if standing before the Lord, the Lord would say, well done. Yeah. You know, but Paul wasn't satisfied with that. He considered those newborn babes, those young believers in Thessalonica, as his joy and his crown when he stood before the Lord in his second coming. He didn't want to stand there without them. He wanted them to be something to him at that time. He didn't want to be without them. He was so much for them. He was saying to them, without you, our life is meaningless. Even the Lord's coming, as wonderful as it is, is meaningless without you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, how emotional can you be yeah, right. and how touching the heart of these young ones? What would I feel like if someone would say that to me? I mean, we would be touched to the core of sure. our being, yeah. that this person really loves and treasures us to the uttermost. And surely we would open our heart to such a person Yeah, and we would receive the fostering and the care and the nourishment which would result in our growing in life. I mean, this is the kind of care that we need to give others but you know in order to give this kind of care we need to be filled with christ yeah Uh, this was really not just paul as a good christian minister this was christ saturating him and living out of him and, and being expressed through him it's a phenomenal thing we can see a real pattern of a god man a
1: man who was filled with christ and who lived christ good point to close on bob This is the expression, not so much of Paul's heart. Surely it was Paul's heart, but this is the heart of Christ coming out to these young believers. This is expressing his depth of feeling, almost his emotion, as Witness Lee said. His speaking, in one sense, is almost too emotional. And as parents, sometimes we get that way with our own children. We say things that are excessive, and others that hear it may look askance and maybe scoff. But to our children, it's quite touching to know that, hey... They love me that much that they would make such an expression. And it causes a response in the heart of the children. And certainly it seems to have caused a response in the heart of these uh, young believers in Thessalonica. Really a uh, great fellowship, wasn't it, today, Bob? I enjoyed it very yeah, much, Chris. me too. Thanks uh, for your, your time. I know you have a busy schedule and you make time for us. We appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. I uh, hope you're enjoying this first two weeks of the life study of First and Second Thessalonians. If you'd like to get the printed messages... Contact us. Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. We'll be back next week as we uh, carry on in this life study of Thessalonians, both first and second. For Bob Danker, and Chris Wild. Thanks so much for listening today.
0: Yeah. Throughout the centuries, the Lord has recovered many truths concerning His purpose and plan for humanity. The recovery version of the New Testament by Living Stream Ministry presents these crucial truths in a format that is easy to understand and study. This faithful translation of the original Greek text includes outlines of each book of the New Testament, over 9,000 footnotes, more than 13,000 cross-references, charts of important truths and color maps. The New Testament recovery version from Living Stream Ministry is available at Christian bookstores everywhere.